0: We are back this week with a busy show. I'm gonna kick off the festivities with a snippet of a recent presentation I gave on a couple of structural mistakes we often see far too often uh, in the portfolio building process. Aaron will answer a viewer question on Profitable Canadian Microcap Gatekeeper Systems Inc, symbol GSI on the TSX Venture, a video and data solutions provided for public transportation in smart cities. The company reported a very strong Q1 fiscal year 2024, Aaron looks to see if the growth momentum can continue. Brennan will circle back on Kevin O'Leary-backed WonderFi Technologies, Inc., symbol WNDR, on the TSX, which dubs itself a, leader, a leading provider of information for the digital asset industry. The stock, which is down 89% from its highs, has bounced lately on renewed crypto enthusiasm and promises to become cash flow positive in the near term. Is it enough to make this serial share issuer interesting, or should this dog be taken out behind the barn and shot? Brennan will let you know. Finally, Brett revisits 23andMe, holding Co. or symbol ME on the NASDAQ, a human genetics and biopharmaceutical company, which continues to see its share price lose ground. Is it finally a buy? Brett will give you his thoughts. All right, let's get to the show. We'll welcome my co-host, Mr. Aaron Dunn, the killer bees, Brett and Brennan. How are you guys doing? Great. Doing well. Anything
1: Great.
0: new? Um, oh well, oh, we did hmm. just come out with a Canadian yeah. dividend All Star report, our 2024 dividend All Star report. I don't know what could be more topical than that today, unless you guys got anything else you want to talk about.
2: No, that's pretty much it. Yeah, so this is uh, the report was just released on Friday, and this is um, this is a report we put out every year. It covers all of the dividend producing companies in Canada. So we start off. With about 400 dividend payers. We're researching every one of them. Um, We funnel that down into essentially 18 current buy recommendations out of that 400. So the 18 that we think provide the best opportunities based on growth, sustainability of the dividend, um, attractiveness of the yield, and then the ability to grow that dividend over time. I mean, really the core of it is we want to find companies that are paying a dividend, but also growing the dividend. So yeah, as I said, it was just released on Friday. Um, it t- takes about two months of solid research to put that together. So we're we're happy to get that uh, get that out to investors. And there's uh, quite a few new companies that we highlighted in there that we're that we're interested in. And in fact, I just um, was just talking with the guys there that mm-hmm. I've reached out to one of the management teams, yeah. and there could be could be another recommendation. Yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I love about when we do these larger reports. Uh, There's certainly a lot of work; they can take you know months to put together. But it's the research process that we're we're doing when uh, when Aaron's looking at every dividend stock in Canada, or we just put together a recent cash rich report where we go through 3,500 companies in in Canada, screen for net cash positions, profitability, and then we look at the smaller cap end of the market. Well, that report takes two and a half months to get to put together. But during that report, we identified three companies that we could add to coverage. And we don't just wait till that report comes out. We then uh, issue a buy report on that individual company. And you know, those three companies that we recommended this past fall uh, have already done tremendously. While uh, the first one that we recommended has doubled uh, since September, the second one is up 67 percent and the third one is up 35 percent. It's a good process to get to those companies. We don't wait till the uh, report is released, but uh, you know we uh, release as we find those companies. and I know Aaron uh, issued a report uh, prior to the release of this uh, of his Canadian uh, dividend All-Star report as well, a buy on a company. So as we're going through that process, that detailed process of going through, you know Aaron's looking every dividend stock in Canada, he's going to release. Uh, when he finds a good company and that's a, it's a good process to use.
1: Yeah. It gives us a lay of the land. And then, you know, like you were just kind of touting a few, those three names again, you know, one of those names was in like a monitor report. I wrote a monitor where, you know, it looked interesting. We're following it. We ended up interviewing management again, you know, this is, we get the lay of the land. We follow these stories and the fundamentals of these companies and eventually they could become a recommendation as you know, some do. Yeah.
0: And out of that report, there's probably five to 10 more that we may love the business. Uh, we love what's going on there. They're either too, pr- too pricey at present. And if they come into a range, you know, during the course of this year, we might issue a buy, or we're waiting on something, an inflection point in the business. But like Aaron said, he went through that research and now he's looking at another company that's come into a range where he thinks, you know, that could be a potential buy. Uh, we're talking to management once again, and, and perhaps we have a new buy coming out of that report over the next uh, few weeks. So it's in- interesting. Now, if 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 we've hit that topic, let's. We did a poll last week, did yeah, we not? Yeah, we got a poll. Uh,
3: yeah, we got a poll. Yeah. Let so us last know what week, the poll was. Yeah, we we asked which of the following commodities are you the most bullish about, our lovely viewers. So oil and gas came in at the highest at thirty percent followed by gold at 26%, then uranium at 24%, then lithium at 11 and copper at 9%. So the most surprising thing to me about this poll is actually how low lithium has become. I think if we had asked this last year, we probably would have seen lithium be the highest because it was really... Lithium was the craze with EVs yeah. really going early last year, 2020 2022, And now it's just fallen off, and you've seen that actually... Come off, especially on the speculative stocks. They've really come down over the past year.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. Yeah, I'm not surprised to see um, uranium and and oil and gas near the top of that list. Um, I think I voted copper. Surprised uranium
2: wasn't higher. I mean, it's yes, been such, yeah. You know, yeah, such a hot commodity mm-hmm.
0: recently. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was. Um, I was surprised it didn't take the number one spot because usually on those polls. It's whatever is doing well right now ranks near Mm -hmm. the highest, but you know, we may have done uranium two years ago, and we wouldn't have seen it—you uh, know—nearly as high. And you see it significantly higher, probably right now. Now um, I wonder uh, too if there's
2: if there's a regional bias on those polls yeah. as well, right? So if I you're was going to say where you know call. uranium is important or oil and gas is important, you're more likely to.
0: We have a ton of Western Canadian users and uh, clients and listeners, right? And that uh, you know, there's probably somewhat of a bias given the region that they're from. For sure. All right. I think, yeah. does that end um, it for this week? Again, I, keep your sh- questions coming in for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Oh, Brennan might have something. Ah, we don't need to hear from him. So, But keep those questions coming in, and yeah, we'll give away one screen? of those mugs. Brennan,
2: Brandon.
0: Right? Brennan, hey, what up, do you let got? Let the man speak. What do you got?
1: No, it's, uh, I, this is just topical today because the first mug shot of Sam Bankman, Freed, came out today. And it's just I saw this meme that Liquidity posted on uh, <laughs> on um, Instagram, and I just thought it was kind of funny how it started right over here versus how's how it's going right now. So uh, yeah, poor poor We're yeah, not it, so is that Giselle. case.
0: I yeah, think I the only mugshot that really matters is this mugshot right here. That is the <laughs> yeah. mugshot you
1: want. Fair enough. But anyways, that's all I wanted to show. Enough of that. Yeah.
0: That, that Again, we went actually, over. Sorry,
3: that, that photo was actually pulled from uh, the person who always interviewed Sam Bakeman. Freed oh, got uh, acquired from um, the other uncensored inmate. There was leaked to her, and that's how that got out. It wasn't a full on mug shot, but it was some more of a casual right. picture. Yep. Yeah,
0: nice. The casual mug shot. So mm, he's in jail right now, or he's out? Yes, in
3: jail awaiting um, the sentencing, I believe. Okay. So yeah, they he was convicted, but they don't have the sentence. I think that's a month or two out. It was sometime in the next couple of months when he's actually going to get sentenced. Has anybody, yeah, that was
2: there your any projections on what? Well, that you know, that was my uh, prediction yeah, for so our insane. our twenty twenty three prediction of, of the sentence. Uh, I, I said
3: they're going to throw the book at him. I think it's one of those fraud cases where they're gonna want to actually make an example of it. Mm-hmm. I've said it before. Mm-hmm. I'm not a lawyer so you're not you i know i <laughs> know plays on, on a podcast. i know it's shocking and
2: that, that's I what know. i put on
3: my resume but yeah you know okay. Ryan hasn't figured that one out but no <laughs> i'm I'm, I'm i'm expecting it. period well i mean me. it
2: doesn't it doesn't sound like like sam bankman freed's going to be going anywhere anytime soon
0: but the real point of brennan's uh post there
2: <laughs> he's already there
0: The real point of Brennan's post is that he's no longer hanging out with Giselle, right? Is that the the point? Basically, that is the point. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. (coughs) At the bottom. So there are times when we (coughs) tackle more nuanced or complex portfolio issues when we speak at events. Recently, I gave a speech where I really wanted to kiss. Uh, Not you, Brennan. Sorry. I wanted to keep it simple, stupid. Often I find that when speaking with average investors, analysts or pundits are often overcomplicated. Uh, They overcomplicate investing or the portfolio building process and present information that is just not useful to the average investor, even sophisticated investors at times. So I really wanted to look at the basic ideas behind the structure of an average Canadian stock portfolio and show two major mistakes we see every day. For me, it really starts right at conception and really involves just poor structure. Now, what I'm going to look at here essentially is investors often come to Keystone because they are dissatisfied uh, with their returns and want a better option. I can break down the most dissatisfied groups of investors into two broad groups using two common strategies. Again, this is if you're trying to beat the market. Most Canadians either employ a strategy called what we call mass diversification, that is the traditional big bank model, or they go it alone. Uh, Let's focus on group one first and why the strategy is really not working. Number one, this is those who have poorly constructed traditional big bank stock portfolios. These portfolios are typically composed of five to 10 mutual funds or five to 20 mutual funds or ETFs, uh, each owning 100 plus stocks, so they own the market. It's all in the name of that magical word, diversification. The problem is that while diversification is useful in its application and modern portfolio building, it has become uh, executed terribly. It's a good idea, but poor execution. As opposed to this guy here, where it's just bad ideas and even worse Execution, ha ha ha. Well, he definitely cannot vag- ba- uh, balance a budget. Sorry. Uh, on a positive note, as he has shown us, he can definitely balance himself, and we're all so impressed by that. Now, with this example of horrid execution in mind, I refer to a chart on optimal diversification or optimal portfolio diversification, which displays that by owning twenty reasonably diverse stocks you have already achieved optimal diversification. And yet by using a big bank method, investors often own over a thousand stocks. This is poor execution and we see it on a daily basis. This is what we like to call, wait for it, boom, diversification. Again, I think that gets funnier the more I use it, doesn't it? Now back to our slide on traditional big bank mass diversification. With this strategy, all you achieve is a complex fee-heavy portfolio that mirrors the market, but underperforms due to those high fees. So look look at number two, the second portfolio that we often see in unsatisfied investors. This is when you choose to go it alone. Uh, By chasing returns, they often end up with too much risk. These portfolios Often consist of concept stocks, pre-revenue stocks, or junior exploration stocks, particularly in Western Canada. These portfolios, if we can even call them at all, are poorly structured with either too little or far too many stocks and are subject to impulse or panic buying and selling. They often take undue risk in misguided attempts to find blue sky type investments. Most often, this strategy will end in disaster. Now, you don't have to take on undue risk to build a portfolio that has a fighting chance to create real wealth. If you want to build true wealth, we want you to chase cash flow, not concepts. Uh, And in the building, less is more. Concentrate on quality over quantity. What we advise you to do is take control of your portfolio. If you want to beat the market, you cannot just be the market like with a big bank portfolio where you're owning 500 to 1,000 plus stocks through a mutual fund or ETF portfolio. Uh, You can create your own simple equity portfolio. Use a strategy that we call and have coined focused diversification. You're building a 15 to 25 stock portfolio gradually over a 12 to 24 month period. What this does, it reduces risk to short term market corrections and will provide Flexibility to add to new positions as new opportunities come available. We were talking earlier in the podcast uh, when we do a sweep of say 3,000 companies in the US, we'll probably pick out 20 names. We may recommend three of those, but we're monitoring those other 17 for potential entry points during the year. If they come in that range, they can become a buy. So you have some dry powder available to add those companies. The process. So if you wanted to use our service or you wanted to start Constructing your own portfolio today, starting with three initial positions. That's just three to five initial buys, uh, and adding two to three stocks per quarter as new research or information is released. Uh, You don't always have to buy a full position in the companies that you're adding to your portfolio. Let's just use some broad numbers to uh, explain that. Say if you had $100,000 and you were going to buy 10 stocks. You take 100,000 divided by 10, a full position then would be 10,000 in each stock. You could buy a half position, that would be 5,000, and then add as you go over time. So those are ways to layer in to individual investments or stocks as you go. All right, I'm going to stop sharing my screen. Any comments on that or should we just move on to Aaron Dunn's? I just want to know, is that
2: a real image of Trudeau balancing
0: It is. Um, it actually is.
2: The table? So, Did he actually so what that? I will
0: give him is that is fairly impressive. Let's be honest. That is impressive. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pro- I mean, maybe the, the most, most impressive thing, thing he's, done. he's done in office, right? Or ever. <laughs> ever, possibly. It's true. <laughs> no, it's it. Yeah, it, it it is a real image, but mm-hmm. uh, he's balancing himself. Not the budget. All right, Aaron, you, you're going to look at – let's just move on from that. You're going to look at um, uh, what, what company – oh, you're looking at Gatekeeper, right?
2: Aaron Gatekeeper system. So am I up? Are we doing this? You're
0: up, sure. You guys have no comments on planking or – No. Brennan's like, what's no, planking? So I can't
3: do that either. We're too young for that fad.
0: Oh, no. I know
1: what planking <laughs> is. I was, I was surprised. You didn't know what Chell was today. I'm, that, that blew my mind. But Aaron, let's all right, let's, let's
2: move on. Let's take a look here at uh, at Gatekeeper Systems. So this was an email that we received from a, a viewer, Dave. Um, he w- just wanted our take on the company. So it's it, it's an interesting little microcap company here, profitable microcap. Symbol is GSI, trades on the TSX Venture Exchange. The stock price is sixty-four cents, about a sixty million dollar market cap. So this is definitely. A microcap. And what they do is they're a provider of intelligent video and data solutions designed for the transportation industry, specifically uh, public transit and school buses. Um, And they're essentially designed to monitor um, the the buses as well as any type of incidents around the buses um, for information that can be used to uh, maintain safety, safety of, of the drivers as, as well. If there's any uh, insurance claims, um, then they're then they're able to use that information to essentially uh, support their claims and, and save money. Um, so this is a platform as a service business. It's it's done very well over the last year. The stock has a um, big move up in the share price in 12 months from about 20 cents up to about 66 cents. Now, if we look back a little bit further over the past five years, we can see quite a lot of volatility. So um, in early 2021, it had reached a price of about $1.30. So it's it's right now down by about half, but as I said, recently coming up. And then again, uh, so what they do is they essentially, they, they offer their services primarily to um, school buses and public transit. They outfit these these buses with um, cameras that they can use to essentially monitor anything around it. So just as an example, um, you all know a school bus when it stops there will be that little stop sign that pops out on the side. You're not supposed to go around the school bus because kids will be crossing the street in front of it. Um, Well, what Gatekeeper system does is it can actually monitor if any vehicles um, violate that rule, drive past that stop sign. Um, and it can capture that. It can capture the license plate and then send that information to the, to the authorities uh, so that person would automatically get a ticket. So that's just one example of what their technology does. Uh, another example is they can also outfit the inside of the school bus with cameras so that they can monitor what's going on in there. Uh, privacy is, is a focus as well. So faces are blurred. But they can essentially just make sure that um, monitor for any type of vandalism, bullying, essentially keeping the kids safe Um, outside of school buses. uh, They also do public transit as well. So one of their big clients is the South, South Southeastern Pennsylvania transit authority. They've done several, uh, had several contracts with them. Um, Right now they're saying recurring revenues of about 2.4 million per year from this particular client. But what they do is they have cameras on the bus and if there's any types of incidences around the bus that result in insurance claims, um, then they have a record of, of what happened and and that can be used. So uh interesting company. Let's take a look at the at the recent financial results, which were released in January. These were the Q1 fiscal 2023 results. So big increase in revenue, um, doubling to nine 9.8 million up from 4.88 million, and also a big Increase in the gross profit margin, so 49% gross profit margin compared to 32% in the first quarter of last year. They had positive operating income, 2.1 million, positive earnings per share of two cents, and this is compared to a loss of 618,000 last year, or basically um, zero earnings. So big quarter, um, and this is uh, probably driving a lot of the share price return. Although the the quarter was just released about a month ago, but, um, you know, certainly it seems like strong financial momentum. Uh, Looking at the commentary, the company says this is the strongest first quarter in its history by a large margin. They generated growth in both the school and the public transit segments. Uh, They now have an installed base of about 50,000 mobile data collectors, and they're actively preparing and selling recurring revenue services to help customers again, monitor and optimize this video data. Um, being recorded every day. Uh, Their new offerings utilize AI, video analytics, um, software solutions, hosted software solutions, and wireless data connectivity. So um, certainly this seems like it plays into a lot of current themes right now with AI, which is very interesting. But when we look at a big quarter like this, we really want to dig in and figure out, you know, what's going on here? Is this level of growth sustainable going forward? Um, What's driving it? So when we see a small company like Gatekeeper doubled their revenues um, in a quarter year over year. Uh, we need to figure out like what what is, what is actually happening there. Now, in the case of Gatekeeper Systems, uh, the company did sign a big contract in September of 2023. It was a $9 million transit video and data contract. And they announced on January 4th that they completed this contract. And the way that this works is that the $9 million is essentially being um, recognized in primarily in two quarters, which is the first quarter of this year, the one that was just reported, and also the second quarter. So um, they are recognizing approximately three point five million Canadian in the first quarter of this year. So that goes into the um, that goes into the revenue growth that they reported with revenue up being up about hundred percent. They're going to then recognize another five million in the second quarter, and then they're going to recognize four hundred. Th- or five hundred thousand in the third quarter, and then after that, all of the revenue from this contract will will be completed. So, if we look at the um, at the the first quarter that they just reported, doubling earnings, so earnings of about nine point eight million compared to four point nine million last year, we're looking at about five million dollars worth of revenue growth there. Um, well, three point five million of that is is from this contract, so major boost from this contract now. Can we consider this recurring? Well, it's definitely not recurring. This is, this is a contract that ends and it has ended. Um, now, they can certainly sign new contracts that will generate more growth. But as of right now, in terms of what we know, um, the majority of this growth, about two thirds of the growth, a little more than two thirds of the growth that they generated in the first quarter. Was just basically based on this contract and it's it's not necessarily going to repeat. Now, it's great that they're signing these contracts. Um, Another thing is that about one and a half million or so of that growth was actually from outside of this contract. So there could be some organic growth there, um, something that's a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more recurring. But one way to look at this is certainly that when we get around to the first quarter of next year, this may be a quarter that is hard for them to beat. And they may see a a decline in gross profit margin um, and revenue uh, year over year or at least less impressive results so being that it's a contract focused business this is something that we have to consider but we we do think that fundamentally financially the company has been very successful they decided to expand into the public transit market in 2018 they've signed about 40 million dollars of a contract since then Um, i mentioned that one of their big clients is the pennsylvania transit authority um, it looks like they've signed several contracts and extensions with them. That's a great sign if your customers are coming back to you and wanting to do repeat business. Uh, looking at the balance sheet, good solid balance sheet. I mean, there's a little bit of cash, about $2.4 million in cash. No debt. There are There is about $1.2 million in leases that we'll just basically consider debt. Um, but that's about a net cash balance. A small, but still a net cash balance, about $1.2 million. Uh, good solid debt equity ratio as well. So no concerns about the balance sheet whatsoever. Uh, And then finally looking at the historic financial performance, you know, a little bit of volatility, certainly. Um, But, you know, generally pretty good, fairly consistent growth in in revenue over the last seven years or so. We saw a, a big uptick in 2020, both in terms of revenue and in terms of earnings and then a decline in 2021. That may have been due to some uh, some issues with the pandemic may also been due to um, a big one time contract being executed on in that year. But, you know, good, good revenue growth since then, um, decent growth in earnings per share, albeit fairly, fairly low earnings. So uh, they did last year about three cents in earnings. Um, You know, you'd maybe put them at about, you know, say, five cents trailing 12 months and including that contract. So, you know, about 12 times, roughly about 12 times earnings right now. Not a bad valuation. But again, a company like this can be lumpy unless they can add on more recurring revenue over time. So um, what what's our take on the business? Well, I, I think it's really interesting. I think that it's worth a deeper look. And, and that's really what these this type of analysis is. It's it's not necessarily to not not necessarily to draw a conclusion on the company, it's to determine. You know is this even worth a deep dive and i would say that this is worth a deeper dive it's worth a talk to management see what types of contracts are are you know on the in the pipeline going forward and if they're able to replace some of that um business that they're that they're that they completed in uh in the first two quarters of this year so um good fundamentals over, overall higher risk micro cap company but worth worth a deeper dive
0: yeah, I think Gatekeeper has done quite well. Um, it's it's you point out the major risk, the contract nature of the business. Uh, you know, if you look back, just to the August 22, 2022 quarter, nine point eight million. Then you go November twenty twenty two, it's four point nine. Then February twenty twenty three, nine point seven. May twenty twenty three is five point nine, and then you go August twenty twenty three is. And then November, the last quarter, 2023 is 9.8 million. So you can see it jumping around then it looks to be jumping around in the last in the right direction. And it has been operating income positive for the last uh, four quarters. Um, So you know, these are trending in the right direction, but it is the risk there. Uh, when you're holding the stock, um, if you know you do have one quarter where they're just you know you drop down significantly over the past quarter, the market can uh, take that as a negative sign, maybe overreact. I think if you're o- buying this company and owning it, you look at the balance sheet and you also look at um, you look at it on an annual basis, not a quarter to quarter basis. That's the way you have to look at it. Typically, a stock like that then gets a lower multiple. They don't usually get a premium multiple in the market. But, uh, you know, it can change over time if they build up that order book and you see a, you know, them continue to fill it and fill it and fill it, then it can start to get a, a more premium multiple, potentially. One and if I'd they can obviously add the, that the recurring nature. Sorry.
2: Public safety perspective is yeah. I'm sure that what a lot of those systems are monitoring is also just the, the driver of the bus. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So if you have kids... I mean, my kids don't take the school bus, but if you did have kids that took the school bus, you know, you'd be, you know, you'd, you want to make sure that there's a safe person behind the wheel. And I'm yeah. sure that these, these systems are also monitoring, yeah. you know, how that it, driver is, is it does about. check
0: off some of those boxes that could give it a, some sex appeal, right? Like with the AI, with the monitoring, all of those things. and as recurring revenue uh, becomes a larger part of the business, as I understand now, it's just a small part of the business, but as it becomes larger, then you could start to get a premium multiple at some point. So if you could have it get a premium multiple and continue to ro- grow earnings over time, that's a powerful combination. That's where you can get a real long-term winner, but we'll continue to monitor and probably talk to management in the, in the near future.
1: Yeah, just on the uh, the safety, I think that that's such a good point because like, I remember vividly like being terrified of one bus driver in high school or in elementary school sorry um we were, we went on a field trip and this bus driver ended up like we were going to church cuz i was at a catholic school and we ended up he ended up like running over this pole at the church and he just drove off he just kept driving he it's like he didn't even no one saw it he just kept driving and you know uh, all these kids like auto, auto. Oh, sorry, this, was, Simpsons, ele- this right? was elementary school. This was elementary, elementary school, school. So I was probably like, well, I don't even know how old I was. It feels so long ago.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Um, <laughs> it was like three weeks ago. I don't even ago. know how old all I right. am right now.
1: <laughs> Anyways.
0: Cool. All right. Well, it's- isn't it your segment, young it's man?
1: A- <laughs> yes, it can be. <clears throat> Just one second.
0: What are you doing? What do you got for us this week? Uh, WonderFi, I, got I believe.
1: WonderFi.
0: So yeah, I Kevin thought that O'Leary. I would do
1: it. It's up on... Uh, well, I mean, I'll just get into it here. because. So yeah, I thought that we'd do an, kind of an investor spotlight follow-up. Uh, so WonderFi Technologies, WNDR on the TSX, currently trading at a price of about $0.25 cents and a market cap of around $160 million. Uh, So they're an operator of regulated Canadian crypto trading platform and other digital asset businesses, including Bitbuy, Coinberry, uh, Coinsquare, Coinsmart, Tetra, and then also SmartPay, uh, which I believe is just for payment processing. Um, So considering Kevin's quote of If it's not making money after 36 months, you have to take it behind the barn and shoot it. It was put on your uh, journey to teach you what not to do. And considering we're now 36 months into WonderFi's launch in January of 2021, I thought that we would take a look at the financials to see if Kevin should, in fact, take it behind the barn and shoot it. So... Uh, the most recent uh, audited financial results were for Q3 of 2023 and September 30th of 2023. Um, but in January, they also provided a Q4 update to the market in regard to their Q4 2023 results ended for December 31st of 2023. So I will look at that uh, in, in a second here. But let's just look at their the last balance sheet that we can see. Um, so this is again from Q3 of 2023. Uh, the company's balance sheet really doesn't look bad. You know, they've got a net cash position. With about 25.1 million in cash and essentially no debt, and looking at the income statement here, uh, revenue is up year over year to 9.9 million from just 3.3 million last year, um, but the business still lost 6.9 million in operating losses for the quarter, uh, and on the bottom line, net loss for the quarter was 10.6 million or two cents per share. And look at that there, you can see it. Down in the right bottom, yeah, you guys see it. The company has increased its share count from 192 million last year to 622 million shares today. It's actually a little over that here. Uh, So, here, just to show the increase in shares, um, they're now up to about 650 million. And essentially, the company's last raise was for about $5 million at a price of 22 cents per share, where they issued about 23 million shares. Um, But the huge spike that you see there uh, in July of 2023 was for 271 million shares issued to Coinsquare's shareholders for the closing of the WonderFi, Coinsquare, and Coinsmart business combination. And this is uh, partially why we're seeing this revenue growth as well. Now, uh, looking at the company's Q4 operational update, Um, More just at the bottom here at the guidance. The company is guiding toward 29% uh, sequential growth over Q3 at the midpoint. And for non-adjusted EBITDA and operating earnings, uh, they are anticipating it to be positive in the quarter. So does this mean that the company has now achieved consistent profitability? Definitely not. Um, But you know, sure, it's great to see them guide toward operating profit. Again, this is operating profit, not net profit. Um, But I think the business still has a long way to go before it can prove that it will no longer have to dilute going forward. And last but not least, well, you know, Kevin, your 36 months are up uh, and consistent bottom, bottom line profitability and cash flow have yet to be being achieved. And, you know, I think that it might be about time that you take up your own advice and take it behind the barn and shoot it. And I mean, I only kid, like who knows, you know, what will happen here. We have seen the stock, you know, increase recently. Um, I just don't see a clear path toward the company, you know, reaching real profitability yet. Um, And again, we're up past that 36 month uh, quote that uh, Kevin O'Leary himself has said. Um, So, you know, it's a dog in my opinion. And remains a dog.
0: Yeah, I mean, financially, it looks like a a steaming pile right now. To be honest, and yeah, and yeah you know, may, maybe they achieve operational profitability. I'm not sure how they're even defining that, to be honest. But maybe they achieve yeah, exactly. that. But it, what what if it's a hundred thousand and they have six hundred plus million shares outstanding? Um, exactly. You know, they need real meaningful profitability to make this company even worth looking at uh again and you know it's going to trade in my opinion off of the um off of the sentiment around crypto right now i mean that's what it's going to do and uh maybe if they can achieve some level of profitability but the way that they've issued shares um like you know they're a kid in a candy store uh you know it's hard for them given their revenue base at this point it looks like it'd be hard for them to achieve meaningful profitability uh, maybe the new acquisition will add sig- significantly to revenue base but it's likely going to have a high degree of fluctuation on a quarterly basis as m- much of the crypto space has had so we'll, we'll continue to monitor it but uh, yeah there's a lot of dilution there
3: yeah you can really see if you look at it like any other crypto company that october november time period after that, effectively, all of them went up to 3x. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. not really trading on the company fundamentals. It's just a yeah. macro backdrop behind it. Exactly. As well, just on the company's operations, Coin Square is a crypto exchange, effectively. It has some other stuff in it, but it doesn't really have that same moat as other exchanges as crypto is obviously very limited regulation, but you're seeing more regulations come in. So really the only callous i could see is if they get through that regulation the canadian government regulates crypto exchanges hard and they create a moat but that's outside really management's control and plus they would need to be the one who does get through that regulation gate which may not be the case you've seen recently in the u.s finance got hit hard after them i think it was like five billion fine to the ceo there and effectively removed from the u.s so it's not like they, they might not even be in the clear. You don't know what they're doing behind the closed doors. You only see their public facing financials, which is a big issue with these crypto companies. There's a bunch of them, and the especially the exchange space, when it's not regulated or hasn't been regulated historically, it can bring up a lot of risk once regulations are coming in. And then you need to be the one that gets through the regulations to have any sort of mode. Yeah.
2: Well, didn't we do yeah. a segment where Kevin O'Leary said yeah. that he would... Continue to invest in Sam Bankman-Fried, even if he was convicted. And yeah, I think I ended up doing like the investor spotlight on him, right? (laughs) Yeah,
1: I guess so. I guess so. He might as well buy low, sell high.
0: All right, let's shift. Let's shift. Let's move on, Brett. You're gonna close out the show, um, and you've got uh, you're looking at twenty three and Me. Correct.
3: Yeah, saving the best for last.
0: It. Certainly is sort of that, right?
3: <laughs> uh, twenty three and me. It. You've re-
0: you've looked at the, them before on on the show. We, we've haven't? looked at
3: them before, and yeah. that's really why I'm looking at them again is because we've had quite a few comments publicly on our YouTube channel, as well as some from clients and just discussion um, in person as well. Twenty three and me. We last covered in May of 2023, and we got a few comments. So I really just wanted to go through how we progressed and really see where the company stands and whether or not I'm taking a victory lap or I'm going to be raked over the coals. So if you don't know, 23 Me, symbol ME or ME on the NASDAQ currently trades at about $0. $0.72 cents a share with a mark cap of $348 million. They were founded in 2006. 23 Me is a consumer genetics and research company. The company has built the world's largest crowdsourced platform for genetic research. The company became public through a SPAC in 2021. And it's like most SPACs at the time, it has fallen 92% since. And since we last covered it in May of 2023, it's fallen about 65%. So I'm going to say that's a victory lap for me, at least so far. But a quick look at the most recent financial, so fiscal Q3 2024, which is just the calendar year end of 2023. Revenues came in at 44.7 million, down 33 percent from the prior year. And for the trailing nine months, down 25% at 155.6 million. This is partially due to their GSK contract being lowered amount from 50 million to now 20 million. And some of the contract terms change, and I'll we'll get into that in the in a few slides. But loss from operations. Was 281 million compared to a loss of operations of 97.1 million. This is primarily due to goodwill impairment of 199 million in the quarter. The impairment relates to a previous acquisition of Lemonade Health, a telehealth platform, which it acquired for 400 million in late 2021. And that's roughly, I think, about a third of the value. Of their goodwill. I didn't fully break it down, but their goodwill value on their balance sheet is only about $140 million at this time. So they've taken a significant write down on that acquisition. But moving down the income statement, unsurprisingly, net loss of $278 million, like I said, primarily goodwill impairment, but it was a loss of 58% per share compared to a loss of $94 million in the prior year and a loss of $0.20 cents as well. But losing, removing the impact of that goodwill, we still had a slight, we had a slight improvement, but it was still a loss of $79 Uh, And in reality, goodwill, the reason why it's not the weirdest thing to remove is this should be recognized over time, more more so than just a single quarter, because it's trying to reflect the fair value in their investments. So over time, you see the investment move, but since it's a private company. They effectively just put their inputs in and spit out a price, and they do that every year or so, which is why you're seeing it at the calendar year end. However, even if we look at the always, almost, always more favorable adjusted EBITDA, which removes the impact of goodwill and removes the impact of stock compensation, the company had a negative adjusted EBITDA value of $47.7 million compared to a loss or deficit of $43.2 million the prior year. So by this metric, which normally actually Inflates earnings a bit, makes it look, the company look a bit, a bit better. Than, remember, they're the ones designing these adjustments. It actually shows the decrease year over year as the company in, in this metric has declined as the share comp was not as large over the prior year. And that's really why Just uh, you need to look into what they're actually putting into it. And you can't just take the headline figure because a lot of times they will report it. Sometimes Sometimes they'll have the financial breakdown like I have here in the press releases, but a lot of them don't. But I digress because I just don't like just the EBITDA. So a pro for the company, though, it still has a strong balance sheet, which I covered last time, which is why, but why I haven't seen this, uh, sorry, getting ahead of myself. Over the last uh, same period since last year, we've seen shares increase about 6% uh, to 480.8 million from 453.4 million, not the largest increase, especially given the weaker financial state. However, the company does have a significant out-of-money stock options, restricted share units, as well as potential future issuance for stock plans. If you are hoping for that lottery ticket style gains like you do in these turnarounds, the stock compensation metrics can really damper your return. And now we're getting onto the balance sheet proper timing. A pro for the company is the balance sheet. So you're not seeing that cascading dilution because they have this back, this strong uh, backdrop uh, in their balance sheet. So when you're seeing other companies with financial weakness quarter after quarter, year after year, the balance sheet is what can support it. And 23andMe does thankfully have it for shareholders. But that cash position is dropping over time. They currently have $442, $242 million in cash with no financial debt, but netting out the leases results in a net cash position of $164 million, about 47% of the market cap. Obviously, you need to price it that into the market cap and the valuations. Once you get to that high amount, that being said, the company's cash flow is negative, with net cash used in operations or cash used in operations, I should say, of 138.5 million over the past nine months. If you just do a linear extension of the negative cash flow, you're looking at about under a year or so from the end of uh, so about the end of 2024 before they dip into a net debt and lease position. And then about 1.3 years, so about April 2025, before they burn through all their cash at the current rate. Obviously, things can change. With this, they can issue shares. They can reduce expenses, which they're already doing. They're reducing their workforce, as well as they can issue debt. But many times, once you see that debt that get issued, normally it will be like convertible debt or something like that at a high interest rate. That's really the death knell for the company if you do see that. I'm not saying that's going to happen with 23andMe, but that is always a concern is once you see that debt issue and it just spirals out of control. So why would someone want to buy 23andMe? I've seen many comments say it's a buy, a very recent comment not picking on them, it just really emphasizes and highlights what bulls are looking at. It's a buy, they, they say, I'm not saying this, I, I should be clear, it's a buy at the current price, the upside greatly outweighs the risk. There won't be a competitor database half as deep as 23andMe for a decade with AI advancements and their massive database. Throw it, throw the financial results out the window, buy and hold. I disagree, but we'll go into the bold case. So the bold case for the stock really is, they have this trove of genetic data, which pharmaceutical companies should be clamoring over. They should be really wanting to pay that premium since it's such a great database. But the reality just doesn't show that at this time. The company does have an unexclusive now, previously exclusive uh, contract to license its data to GSK, a Megacap, Britain-based multinational pharma company, and they receive about $20 million, or they do receive $20 million per year as of their last contract up front, which is always nice. GSK in return gets genetic and phenotypic data, which 23ME collects in the agreement And, and they've had this agreement for now six years before this agreement was exclusive, but now it's unexclusive. So that premium has dropped from 50 million a year as their last extension contract now to the only 20 million. So if you do believe this data is just so valuable that every pharmaceutical company is going after it, why are we not seeing new licensing agreements outside of GSK? Now that is unexclusive. They should be able to sell the point, but it's been since July. So about eight months. And we've not seen an additional announcement so where is this value from this genetic data which is meant to be happening additionally as well the company does have some various state phase one and 2a which is just enrollment for 2a treatments in development which may provide some sort of value in the future but that's still multiple years down the line phase one and phase two is not very progressed or 2a i should say specifically where you need to a either hit the market or sell it at a price where you have something substantial which Phase one is still very early on, doesn't have much value once you're only at that point. You need to get to that phase three at least before you're releasing any sort of value developed in the market. And at this time, they probably don't have the funds even to take the market. So they'd be taking a haircut to sell it early on. But to wrap this up, I'll highlight a couple points. Referring to the previous comment, you can't just outright ignore financials regardless of if you're just a growth oriented investment. And looking at the future, five, 10 years in the future, you need to look at the risk and reward of the company. Like the person says, they think it outweighs. But the real reason why you need to look at the financials in the case of 2023 and me or any really other pharmaceutical development company is the risk is in the financials. That's what you're looking at here is the risk. They have a declining cash balance, as well as over the past year, declining revenue, which puts a timeline on the company before it needs to raise capital in some form. Remember, you're an equity investor. You don't own the actual product, you own the shares in the company. So even if the product down the line does well, if your share is so diluted after multiple raises, which you will see in Biopharma, it is meaningless if you bought in now, but it's been diluted a tenfold once the product actually has any sort of success, if it has that success in the first place. The other option you may be hoping for is some sort of a buyout, but the same issue occurs. It might be a year down the line or two years down the line from when you bought and that cash flow burn has hit it so hard. Even since I last did the segment, not even a year ago, it has fallen over 60%. You think a company is going to pay a nearly 3x premium for a company if you bought it this time last year. And if it continues going at that rate, you're going to have to see more and more of a premium to get to your average cost before you see any profit. You're just trying to t- completely guess when a bio is going to happen, which is just not a way to invest. So overall, the risk still outweighs the reward, and I really want to see if if there's any potential in the company. I would want to see those additional licensing agreements because that's where the value that people think is coming from. But for now, I just will not put twenty three and me in my portfolio.
1: Excellent job.
0: <coughs> no,
2: no, yeah, and the, the same. Like, and isn't
0: there... one thing I
2: would wonder? Go on. I was going to say one thing I would wonder is is so when it comes to their database. Do they have unlimited? I mean, if I were to use 23andMe service, provide them with my genetic data. Um, do they have unlimited use of it, or are there restrictions on that? Like, can I opt out? Can I say you can't use it? For I, I advise they data?
0: burn that data right away and get yeah. rid of that uh, uh, get, data. Uh, there's like there. actually a
3: couple of points I can go through here. Is <laughs> nobody they, wants? I believe in their terms and conditions currently, unless there's some there's some regulations because they do say. People who have enrolled in uh, the license uh, to have their uh, data licensed out—that is, so there's something in the terms of agreement. I didn't look too deep in that, but there is some sort of enrollment. That whether you can opt out, I don't know. That would be a concern. And as well, recently there was a hack, which was kind of their fault, kind of not. It is a bunch of uh, passwords got exposed? Not their fault, but this happens all the time with databases. But the issue with twenty three andMe is since you're all connected. You can use puzzle piece A and C to figure out B, yeah. and that's what happened here. They effectively use the strength of the connection to the platform to expose people who passwords who weren't exposed or accounts weren't exposed mm-hmm. to the data risk. And that is something which obviously is a concern. There's lawsuits about it as well, and that is obviously a concern. when And then as well, you could see that regulations change as well, something like that.
2: Yeah, Yeah. certainly. I mean, especially out in Europe as well, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, in North America as well, there's a big focus on data privacy and, you know, it might not be a case where, you know, it may have been a case where they, when they started collecting this data that they had greater latitude in terms of what they could do with it. Um, But since then there's been regulations that have, you know, restricted, I don't know specifically with respect to them, but I know that particularly in Europe, there's a big focus on on data privacy, and and there's been a growing focus on it in North America as well. So just something to consider. Yeah, but at the end of the day, I mean, they have had eight months to sign new agreements to generate cash flow from that database. Uh, it still hasn't happened, so that would be a concern. Um, you know, once they run out of money, they're going to have to start taking more drastic actions to stay afloat, right?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know and, if you guys and- saw. Like, this is a. Or go on, Ryan. You can say first because mine's a bit of a tangent. No, you on go on it. It's kind of an interesting. Okay, so a few years back, I think it was back in 2018 or 2020, there was a site. They don't list exactly if it was Ancestry.ca or um, 23andMe. They say that it's it was a different site, but some they ended up using the database um, and basically linking. Like they they put in this DNA from this one um, murderer. Um, again, back in, you know, he was murdering back in like the 1980s. They ended up linking him or this DNA to one of his siblings and ended up catching him like that way by figuring out that it was, you know, a, a link to a sibling. Anyways, it's just it's, it's kind of a tangent, but just interesting how, you know, sp- know, who knows what website this was that, you know, is, uh, you know, allowing their data to be, you know, used like this. And I mean, it's good that we're getting a murder off the street. Don't get me wrong. Um, But it's just it's an interesting use uh, of data that, uh, you know, they're also tracking down criminals that way
0: as well. What I was going to say is on the on as an equity investor, like as far as the value of the database, the data they're collecting, I mean, this same argument could have been made when they were $10, $9, $8, $7, mm-hmm. 6 5 4 3 2 and now they're below a $1. Um, you know, you could have had that same argument then. You're left holding the bag as an equity investor if that's your only uh, reason for owning the stock. Um, perhaps that database gets bought. It has a value at some point, but we have seen these where literally the equity has got to zero and the database is bought out of receivership. So, I mean, there's... You know, there, that can happen in these cases. And uh, I'm, I'm not saying that's going to happen here today. I mean, there is significant sales still. But um, you know, trying to pick your entry point based on the value of a database, uh, we'd rather have a valuable database and cash flow. And then maybe it would be exactly. something that would be attracted to us. And the database or the buyout would be a bonus you got to value the company based on that cash flow. Otherwise, it's just pure speculation. And uh, it's not something that we would consider investment worthy. I think yeah, that's going to end off our show.
1: It's going down.
0: Likely. Yeah. And there's yeah, no okay. there's no there's no underlying fundamentals there. You don't have a base to say, OK, it's worth this. Yeah. So that's going to end off our show this <laughs> week. Uh, keep your questions coming in next week. Let's give away one of these, these mugs. Let's mug someone next week. Perfect. Um, keep your questions coming in. We'll pick the best one over the past month uh, next week. So you got one week to get those in. Uh, if you're viewing this right now on YouTube, smash that subscribe button. If you're listening to this on iTunes, rate and review us. And as always, always positive reviews. I'd like to uh, wish everybody out there profitable investing. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks,
1: everyone. Thank you.